everyone and welcome to the podcast it should go without saying i'm your host andrew lewis and i've got a special treat for everyone who has been waiting eagerly for football to start and eagerly also waiting eagerly for the podcast to talk about something else other than basketball we're going to talk about footy and with me is our resident football expert and recent green room award winner cameron mcdonald how are you doing cameron <laughs> I'm good, thanks, Punner. How many people are, are, are football experts and Green Room Award winners? There can't be that many. I, it's a short list. I think, I think the Venn diagram is you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right, but I'll take it. I, t- I know it's an odd mix. I think my Twitter bio, Sport and Theatre, <laughs> is an odd mix. Yes, I, uh, I've got, uh, I recently changed this. I've got 1997 Elwood College Outstanding Senior Male Athlete. In my Twitter bar, an award I did win because I was the only person who basically took part in everything in year 12. So that you don't need to say that bit, yeah. Oh, well, you know, full disclosure, full disclosure. Um, it's good to have footy back. Um, I guess the the, the first question is, you know, uh, tell us, did you miss it? How much you missed it? What you missed about it now that you know that 12 week period where we didn't have it. I do tend to consume all of it. I will say when it's up and about, when it, when people when the games are happening, I will consume all of it. I'm I'm a proper footy nerd. I'm there on big footy. I'm I'm smashing Twitter to bits. You know, I'm I'm listening to podcasts. I'm I'm travelling to work in the morning, listening to SEN, and um, just chewing up as much football content as I can. And I, I shut that down pretty quickly because everybody ran out of things to talk about. Um, mm. So, yeah, like I miss the ebbs and flows of a football season, but I I pretty quickly established that you couldn't really fake it, if that makes sense. So we had that one week, which was uh, just enough for me to miss it more when it went away. And then, yeah, I just sort of settled into the the weirdest pattern of all time, but a pattern of some description. Played a lot of Xbox, let me say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I paid much attention to that first week. I certainly, I certainly watched uh, the Richmond-Carlton game, but I don't think I watched pretty much any of any other game that weekend except for the St Kilda-North Melbourne game. And the news got worse and worse, I guess, over that weekend. So I don't know. I can't. I, I don't have a recollection of exactly what the what the state of play looked like on the Friday night as Collingwood uh, were destroying the Western Bulldogs. But so, you know, certainly by the Sunday when North Melbourne were playing St Kilda, I mean halfway through the game, uh, you know, the story broke about the fact that uh, there were going to be further restrictions and pretty much football was going to be impossible. Um, and then St Kilda did what they did. You know, basically throwing away. Uh, a, you know, a 31 point lead early in the third quarter, and it was just like, okay, um, I, you know, an indeterminate period away from the game might do me good. Um, <laughs> but, um, and, and, and I probably didn't, I, I'm not you know, as much of a footy nerd, I think, as you are. Um, I'm more of a conditional uh, AFL 360 watcher, which is probably my favorite of the footy shows. Um, I watched it this Monday. Uh, and was disappointed by the lack of St Kilda chat, but I'm more of a you know, oh we won, you know, let's luxuriate in a bit of <laughs> a, a bit of enthusiasm from third party validators uh, to use the <laughs> political term. Um, you know, but if we've got we've got pumped, I'll just be like, no, I can do without that. I'll uh, I'll find my entertainment somewhere else. So I I I, I guess I let the game. To, to mix a meta, another metaphor, I, I was going to let the game come to me a little bit more uh, last week, but uh, I watched all of Richmond Collingwood. I probably watched, you know, just about as much football on the weekend as I've watched in some time in a in a normal home and away round. Um, you know, I, I watched quite a lot of Friday night. Um, I saw a bit of. I, I watched the the second half of the Gold Coast and the West Coast, and you oh, know, what a ripper! It's it's not much. I, I not many. Not often I sit down and watch a lot of the Gold Coast, and then, um, and I also watched quite a bit of Carlton Melbourne, 
uh, was another game I watched a lot of. And then, of course, St Kilda Bulldogs to finish off the round. So uh, I don't know if I actively missed it. I don't think I, I, I felt uh, that I you know, physically missed it. There was a pain. Um, but I was, I was happy to see it back. But it came back with a game that could not have been scripted by in anyone's wildest imaginations. First game back in 12 weeks after everything that's happened in Richmond and Collingwood just about play a no score draw. It was bizarre, wasn't it? I was You're uh... a, you're a, you're a Collingwood through and through. Give me your tell me your impressions of that game. Well, we started white hot. You know, there was mm. there was so much to like about that first quarter and um you know, I'd been very taken with our uh, dismantling of the Western Bulldogs in round one, uh, who was everybody's sort of fancy to improve. Um, we'll probably get to them later, won't we? But um, mm. yeah, I, I sort of watched that first quarter and I was just like, well, whatever, whatever it is that we've tinkered with is working beautifully because um, neither side was able to lay a hand on us, you know, obviously 81 days apart or whatever, but um I just felt good about it. I was sort of, um, <laughs> I was up on my high horse and and talking about how like this experience list and a backline who's now played a bit of footy together and this and that and, and feeling very, very good about it. And then in sort of classic fashion, um, Richmond just started to shut it down a little bit um, and made us play a little slower. And uh, you know, if the game goes for another couple of minutes, they they win it. Um, it was a it was, but it was a bizarre game, and that's what both coaches had to say in the aftermath. And I, I probably got a little bit excited that Footy was back, and and drank an extra glass of wine or two. So, um, you know, the, the sort of hollow feeling that everyone else was experiencing, um, hoping that Footy would lift them out of the quagmire. Um, I, I don't think I needed that per se. Um, there was just something so nice about the ritual nature of catching up with a mate and, and watching the pies and, and having a drink that, um, that did it all for me already. Um, and I sort of, I also gave both teams a little bit of leeway, which is similar to what both coaches said as well, that um, regardless of what you had to say about the conditions, it had just been so long since either of those teams had played a, a proper game of footy. And, you know, it was a shortened little mini preseason and, so much uncertainty and this and that. I mean, it, as you say, it was it was a metaphor for 2020, and we sort of got what um, we got what was obvious. My my initial impression watching the first quarter is and was I don't think Richmond were bad, but I can't remember have them being that ordinary. You know, while they were just they were unremarkable, they weren't spraying the ball uh, you know they weren't fumbling it was just like they were unimpressive and they did work into the game but they've got this incredible well-proven premiership uh, key position forward tandem in Lynch and Rewalt it was the worst game I've seen Jack Rewalt play in a long time it was bad wasn't and, it and and Tom Lynch was pretty ineffective as well um, but on the other hand, you know, I couldn't, I thought my check was at best his usual honest self. And he was from, from what I've read, uh, just about best on ground against the Bulldogs in round one. So, you know, obviously not a night for the key forwards, uh, colleague would might've found one in Josh Dacos or, you know, one might've just developed and just reached maturity. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see who pops their head up, you know, in terms of the in terms of the eighteen clubs. In terms of it's the twelve week break is going to work better for some more than others, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, who comes along and who doesn't. Who was able to, you know, there'll be guys who would have missed a whole bunch of time who don't miss any games, you know, what that those sort of things. So. But Dacos was impressive. Dacos was very good. I thought uh, Callum Brown's another one who is really hitting his straps. There's there's something nice about uh, the synergy of that, I think, um, in this Collingwood team and, and needing to find improvement from somewhere. Well, if Dacos and Brown 
uh, both the Browns, but particularly Callum, um, did some really nice things on Thursday night and um, uh, gave us a bit to look forward to, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, everything you're speaking about there, um, for me, really applied to Joel Selwood on Friday night, who, um, uh, you know, at various time, at various points last year, playing on a wing, I thought the end was going to come very quickly for Joel Selwood, but perhaps the 12-week break and a shortened, you know, 17-week season, this is going to sound very un-Cameron McDonald-like, but maybe it suits Geelong. Lots of games down at GMHBA um, and an older list, a really experienced list. There's this lovely uh, milestone coming up where it looks like anyway that Gary Ablett and Joel Selwood are going to play their 350th and their 300th games in the same match, um, which is just epic. Hopefully a few people can get along to that one. Um, yeah, they were origi- that was originally going to happen against St Kilda. So uh, I'm happy it's not. <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes you get a fizzer, but it's hard to imagine those two favourite sons uh, inspiring anything other than a great performance from Geelong, who also do tend to start seasons very well. Um, but yeah, they uh, Hawthorne couldn't play the ground and, and, and Clarkson sort of said, um, we ran out of space and then we stopped running. Um, so it was a really classic Geelong victory. But yeah, the sort of war of attrition hasn't been sitting very comfortably with Geelong and, and having to play their finals at the G, obviously, and some older bodies that cop a bit of wear and tear through the year. But Sel would look like a young pup again, which was really good. Mm. I mean, there is a there is a situation, we don't know what's going to happen, but there is a situation where final, you know, most of the finals might be played at the Docklands because of crowd restrictions, which might be a ground that suits Geelong more. They've got, they've got three of the four games that have been scheduled uh, at down at Geelong. They've got Carlton this week. They've got the Gold Coast two weeks after that, and they've got Melbourne at the MCG in between that. So, again, I think Geelong will be one of the... Obviously, there's a whole bunch of clubs from Melbourne and Victoria who will be stuck with probably four interstate trips in the last 10 games if everything opens up. Um, they might be stuck in a hub in WA for a few weeks, but um, it'll be interesting to see how Geelong get through. Obviously, Selwood and Ablett were very good on Friday night. And, you know, I'm probably in the minority in terms of my fondness for those two footballers. I'm probably, and this is this is going to, Stun a lot of people rotten being a St Kilda supporter. I'm probably more of a Chapman and Bartell man. I was always a big, you know, was more of a, you know, a fan of the way Paul Chapman played his football and, and Bartell. Love but, Chapman uh, and Stevie J. I mean, like, that, that's the problem is they just had too many good. I've got a soft spot for Stevie J because in two, on the 2007 grand final, he won me quite a significant amount of money. So, um, <laughs> As did the cats. Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard the story, and there'll be about three people in the world who've never heard this story, uh, I had $10 on Geelong to win by over 39.5 points in the 2007 Grand Final, $5 on Stevie J to win the Norm Smith, and five minutes into the game, I knew I was collecting on both bets. And yeah. for the remaining 115 minutes of the game, I was the most unbearable person on earth. <laughs> you just kick off, yes, Stevie J! Cash in, you know, it's just, and I've never let anyone forget about it. I had exactly the same bet the year after against Hawthorne. Um, and, you know, not so successful, but I was still in front. Um, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting juxtaposition between the two games. And obviously for the for the foreseeable future, we're going to have Thursday nights and Friday nights. And I think that'll be interesting. Um, certainly a much more free-flowing game on Friday night. I'm... Uh, and, you know, you can go back to my previous uh, podcasts uh, and what I've said about the Hawks. I remain unimpressed. I remain, yet, I, I remain unconvinced. And, you know, I just, I, I, it was interesting. I think I saw the first articles about it this week about, you know, the fact that they really have, uh, for a number of years, decided not to go to the well in terms of the draft, but bring in uh, mature players. And I think the problem with that is once you start doing it, you can't really stop doing it. Once you've done it two or three years in a row, then it's really the only way you're going to get talent in 
to remain competitive other than you're basically choosing to go into a trough. So, you know, they brought Patton in who, you know, missed a sitter in that game. It probably should never have received the handball from Ricky Henderson. This has been the Hawthorne way of doing things, though. The 2008 grand final team was a groundbreaker in the terms of the amount of players in that premiership side who had played at other clubs. It was about six or seven, and we had never really had a premiership team like that. They had a lot. There was a very young team, but they had, you know, Guerra and Gillam, who had played for Port Adelaide, Guerra for St Kilda, but they had Crowe, who had been at another club, and Hale, and uh, there's probably a few others off the top of my head. I'm, I'm Stuart Jew, another another ex-Port Adelaide player. So they had a significant amount, and since then, they've, they've sort of always been like that. Uh, Geelong went the other way for a little while. 2012, they became the only club in recent memory to have had a list with where they had drafted every player. They didn't have a player who played another club. Yeah, but, that's right. That's um, great. They've got a, they've got away they've got they've gone away from that now. And clubs players are moving clubs more often. So I think I think what Hawthorne have done has become more the norm. But they've just done it the last three years almost exclusively, getting in Scully, getting in Wingard, getting in Patton. Uh, there's other players who they've got in recently. Who I'm probably forgetting. I've already mentioned Ricky Henderson, Ben McAvoy. Um, I just Tim don't Mitchell. know. Yep, Tom Mitchell. Um, yeah, fair player. But and they're all fair players. But um, they just haven't been able to get over the hump. And you know, I think the last few years they've also haven't been. They've got. They've made finals. I think a couple of a couple of times and haven't been able to win a final. So I think they're zero and four since their 2015 premiership. So I remain unconvinced by the Hawks. Uh, who have they got this week? They've got Richmond tomorrow night, probably after you listen to this, but uh, we're recording this on the Wednesday. And at the MCG, where Richmond don't lose, and uh, Richmond went, had a pretty good, had a reasonable record against Hawthorne before Richmond came good. So it's a rough draw that um, one, <clears throat> having to go to Geelong, which they never would have had to do in round two. It's an interesting yeah. one because their their round one win was full of merit, and they couldn't. They couldn't really get near Brisbane last year from memory. Brisbane really troubled them. Um, All so the year Clark before, goes, I think I think when Brisbane in 2018, when Hawthorne finished top four and Brisbane were ready to take, the, you know, just about to take the leap but not ready, I think Brisbane beat them twice. So, mm. yeah, so they had the they had had the wood over them for a couple of years. So it's um, it was a good coaching performance by Clarkson to get them over the line in, in round one, and that's the one thing that they will always have is that mm. supreme footy mind down there who's made a commitment to the club. Uh, I, I think all things being equal, uh, Hawthorne and Geelong, I think, and we agreed on this prior to round one, are probably middling kind of lists um, for different reasons. And um, I, I now wonder whether it might, it might just be shaping up nicely for Geelong. I mean, it's too early to call, obviously, but, um, I like the experience on their list in a year like this because, you know, it's it's a weird one without any atmosphere. Like, I, I like a few old heads on a list this year, um, and and yeah, Hawthorne, that that's a rough draw after beating Brisbane. They now have to um, travel down to Geelong and then and play the Tiggies at the G. So we'll see. Yes, they've got in the the games remaining that has been scheduled after. After Richmond, they've got North Melbourne, and oh. then they've got G. Then they've got GWS in Sydney. So that is a nightmare draw. Uh, it's, you it's couldn't have a worse time to run into North Melbourne, who are who have started brilliantly under Reece. Mm, it's it's, but it's it's one of those years where you know everyone's going to complain about the draw most normal years. This year, it's sort of you can't complain about it. Um. So I, I, something very interesting I found in that was happening before the game was over on Saturday night up at Metricon, and that was that, particularly Jared Healy was already sort of baking in the excuse that West Coast were you sort of the they were the hard done by ones and and, and they are um, having to go up there and and spend a month up there. Um, but it was sort of being. I always felt like they were taking credit away from the from the Gold Coast. Um, did, did you do you have any sympathy for the 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 the, the Perth clubs who were who were who were up there last week? The, the Adelaide clubs are up there this week. Uh, I have some. 
Um, of course, but um, as you mentioned, you know, there, there are just going to be crazy things that go on with the draw this year that, um, you know, no one can use them as an excuse because I think everyone's going to get shafted at some point. And, uh, you know, if they were getting shafted so completely, perhaps they shouldn't have started the game as $1.15 favourites with um, Gold Coast and Extreme Outsider. Um, yeah. dollar fifteen. So you would have got value for the Gold Coast. You would have got like $5. Yeah, so it was up there, definitely. Oof. And uh, nobody could have seen that coming. So uh, you can make all the excuses you want if you're West Coast, but you've still got to turn up and beat the bottom team. Hmm. And I think the GPS stats on West Coast was incredibly damning. They just, they didn't cover any ground. And Metricon is a easy ground to, to run on because it's a very large ground. So, you know, that, that's a damning stat. It was my favorite game for the, for the round. I don't know about you. It was just um, so refreshing. I had, another, and... I had another favorite for obvious reasons. But... <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it was so good to watch, and uh, we've got to be careful with hyperbole around number one draft picks, particularly, um, but also the Gold Coast and early season wins. You know, they they were in really nice form um, by round three last year, um, having knocked off the doggies, and um, they've had a few years where they looked finals bound early doors and then fell apart. So, I'll I'll take the Gold Coast win with a grain of salt. Because they've also, you know, depending on the conditions, they've also got a really interesting home ground advantage or will have when they're a decent footy side in that it gets pretty dewy and it is slick, as you talked about. So they a young side can kind of run you off your feet. And Colling would have been beaten up there a couple of times um, over the journey. But, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I've bought the Matt Rowell story hook, line and sinker. I haven't seen it. A second game as good as that in uh, in my time, and you know immediately it sort of throws up the um, you know the, the question in the media this week is do you want Rosie? Do you want Sam Walsh? And that was all the last year as well. Um, I, I I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man, but I'm about to. Um, you need guys like Connor Rosie, and I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, say that you know oh you got to get that out of your game all that sort of stuff, but. Not only did I love uh, Raoul's game, he's, he's just the way he conducts himself and his attitude. I just think, how long, how long does Stuart you wait to give this bloke the captaincy? I know, I know we've had overreactions with you know, the Melbourne blokes, you know, who you basically had their career, Grimes and Trengrover, both out of the game. But surely when you're ready, you're ready. And this guy looks like a leader right now, and he's 18. Uh, incredible upper body he, he oh. just does not look like an 18 year old and the impact he made on you know on twitter amongst the players um through that game mm. joel selwood himself and it is the most obvious comparison for me except that perhaps Raoul straight off the bat he was he was delivering some really nice long balls um and also hit the scoreboard more often than joel selwood i think in the early days at least um He's a he's a complete player, and he'll he'll turn games around in sort of Paddy Cripps style, and uh, he 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 looked like every bit like a captain in that team. Uh, Stewie mm. Jew is apparently a, a huge fan, uh, and why wouldn't he be? So um, it's an interesting one as well because they I think they spoke with um, uh, I forget who they were talking to, and they said that um, Collingwood had inquired about the number one pick, um, and. <sighs> And Gold Coast had said, well, you'd need to give us Adam Trelaw or Jordan Degoe. And um, and we said, okay, well, no, thanks, thanks, but no thanks. But um, Ralph for Trelaw is a, is a tantalising um, sort of trade the more you see him play. Um, we are going early um, and there's often hyperbole around number one draft picks, but I haven't seen a second game as good as that from one. I would have thought this is no inside knowledge or anything. I would have thought that if Colling were doing that, they were getting themselves into a position where they would make a decision on one of the blokes who was out of contract. So not not necessarily at the at the time, but you know, at the end of this year. So they're thinking if we want to get the number one draft pick, are we going to make the decision that we're we're going to save money 
on someone like Dugowie or more because I think they're going to, and they, they did, didn't they move heaven and earth to keep Grundy? Um, that it'll be one of the other two. And I was just like, we'll squeeze them out and we'll make the best of bad situation. We'll get a number one draft pick and we'll bring this guy in. So, but you, you know, there's a, there's all sorts of hurdles to jump over when you're trying to move a bloke who's under contract. So, um, I like their, I like their mix. They've got, they've got a Ruckman who, who's a good tap Ruckman who doesn't take anything off the table, uh, in Jared Witts, mm. who, who is surplus to requirements at Collingwood. He's not Brody Grundy. Um, but, you know, Geelong would just about win the premiership if they had Jerry Witts in their side. We gave him away uh, for a, a, you know, bag of chips in the end, pick in the 50s. And, you know, maybe it's sort of a, an old school idea, but we paid mm. pick 14 for Cameron Wood. It used to be that if you'd, if a Ruckman had, had become, you know, had I, grown into his body on, on, a, on one list, he was nearly worth the first round pick in a trade. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think we gave him up a bit too easy because for mine, you know, he's gone up and won a, a best and fairest. Not that that's terribly difficult um, up there over the last few years, but um, will be now. Yeah, and he's a he's a co-captain. I just I uh, I think we got shafted a little in that deal, and it, um, but I do think Rodney Ede knew that he was getting a good player. Been at least ten minutes since my last uh, anecdote slash tangent. I travelled. A thousand kilometers to see Cameron Wood's only good game. Uh, it was the day he got nominated for the Rising Star, Easter Thursday, 2007, against St Kilda. And I was at the Gabba, and we got beat by about eight goals, and we were rubbish. And he was just about best on ground and got his Rising Star nomination, which was, which was a trait throughout a lot of the 2000s. Was uh, even when we were good, it was just like. Who's who, who? Who did we play this week? Who's getting the Rising Star nomination? So, <laughs> um, now that Matt Rowell's got his Rising Star nomination out of the way, we can hopefully get around to you know a Max King nomination soon. But let's not let's save the best till last. Um, yeah, Rowell's very good. I like their mix. I like the Gold Coast uh, their forward line. Alex Sexton's a very good footballer. Um, he also gets under your skin, obviously. Ask Jeremy McGovern mm. and. And uh, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think there was a whole bunch of that whole element to the situation didn't suit West Coast, but they, they could have worked a lot harder and they're going to be up there for a little while. The Gold Coast have got two more games up there. Their first four games of the year up there because they were at home for round one. Again, we all thought they were a chance to win against Port Adelaide. They didn't get near them. Mm. Um, and then they're down at the Cattery for round five. So, which I think is assuming that, you know, everyone's going to be let out by that stage. So you know, who knows? There might be there might be ten thousand people at that game, or six thousand or eight thousand. So, um, don't think the Gold Coast have won down at Geelong. So, be interesting. They'll have a very difficult run home. They're probably going to have four of the last eleven at home, at best. So, and one of them might be against Brisbane. So, mm. it'll be it'll be interesting. Be interesting. They always seem to leave the grass grow longer at Metricon than they do at the Gabba. It's always more of a fast outfield at the Gabba, I think. They don't let the grass grow till so. So I think they get a bit of dew up there at Metricon and it cuts up. It just seems like a it seems like a dead track rather than a good track. Mm. Uh, and that's just about the last racing parlance you'll get out of me on this podcast. So <laughs> I'm very I'm very unhappy with this story. They're going to have a night grand final just so they can race the Cox with the Cox Plate during the day. I, I, you know, the Cox Plate is one of the least objectionable horse races on the, on the calendar, but you know, it's no AFL Grand Final. No, absolutely not. Anyway, um, here's a question for you. We we had a we had a, an experiment on Sunday. Something happened that had never really happened before. Is this the end for travelling? Unless you're going to Perth, is this the end for travelling the day before a game? Because North Melbourne and Essendon both went up to Sydney on the morning of the game, got the four points, got back in the Virgin and got on the beers and went home. Yeah, I mean, and hats off to both clubs. I don't think, I don't think that's the way we'll be travelling in the future. Um, <laughs> is the is the short answer? Yeah, I mean, if if only Essendon had done it, um, then I I would have completely poo pooed the idea because um, they knocked off the Swans who. Nobody's sure where the Swans are at. Um, nobody's really sure where Essendon are at. Uh, last year, 
um, traveling the way they normally would. David Myers has a has a ping from 65 and that was Winkgate, wasn't it? With um, winking at Dyson Apple to say, I got this and then getting nowhere near it. Um, I remember uh, Rampy climbing up the post. Yeah. That was the Sydney Essendon game. And the year before that was um, Essendon up by 19 points with like three minutes left and getting beat. That's right. By a, uh, R- uh, what's his face? He's down at um, Geelong now. Right. Gary Rowan, Rowan. one of the the great great Bruce calls, Mark, 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 Rowan, and then a pause while Bruce puts all the pieces together in his mind and says, they're going to win the game, you know, because he was (laughs) taking a mark at the goal screen and the siren had gone. So a great Bruce call. That should be be in the Bruce highlight reel. It should. But, like, yeah, I recall both those games being very, very watchable right down to the wire. So yeah, I certainly watched you know, all of that that game, the 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 one where Rowan kicked the goal to win the side. I watched all that game. The SCG doesn't hold too many fears for Essendon, even though there's been a couple of narrow losses. It wasn't a bogey venue. Um, no matter what the sort of win loss record says, I think they've handled themselves pretty well up there. So, um, having you know, said that, they got touched up in a final there two years ago. So, yes, uh, a, a, a no show. Yeah, I think I think travel aside, um, uh, you know, there, there's some there's some merit in that win because of the travel, um, but it's you know, it's sort of dollar eighty five each or two type of game. Um, North, on the other hand, um, I mean, does it say more about North or more about the Giants that um, that they've managed to pull this one off and and have a twenty point win and really belt the suitcase out of the Giants. It was reminded me of um uh of the game against Collingwood last year where where they just they smashed us and and Levi Greenwood jumped out of the way of a of a footy which he's never done in his career. They they were just very aggressive and um they play a strong brand of footy under Reece Shaw who continues to impress. Uh, he's clearly got them playing for him and um, there's also some really nice young talent there. I think we spoke about that in the lead up to round one. Neither of us thought the Kangas had. Um, I had them this pretty low. In them. Yeah, I don't think we either of us thought they had this in them. But I knew they had some nice talent. Um, that Taron Thomas is is pretty special. That Jai Simpkins kind of ready to hit his straps a little bit. Um, uh, and that Cam Zerhar is is pretty quickly. Um, uh, building a handy little forward line CV. So uh, I, I don't mind the Kangas list. I think they, they could get there pretty quickly. Um, they've and got, they clearly they've, all believe in the course. They've got Sydney, Hawthorne, Western Bulldogs in the remaining scheduled games. So the next three weeks, that's who they've got. Could very well. And all in Melbourne. So, And if you're 5-0 um, and oh in a 7, you, you're nearly there. You'd have to do something extraordinary. Um Zerha shows the, and this is one of those things that, yeah, footy changes and footy's evolved, and you know, oh, you know, Kevin Bartlett last week said, oh, these are the two best teams in the competition. They kick five goals each. The game is dead, you know. (laughs) Um, Some things never change, and having a having a bloke in your forward line who's not tall, who can take marks and kick goals, will never, ever go out of, never go out of fashion. Never go out of fashion. Whether it's Gary Ablett Sr. or Jordan DeGoey or Tim Membry, who's six foot two, or Cameron Zerha, you know, those blokes were under 190, but, you know, they they cause huge matchup problems. Not everyone has a Dustin Fletcher who can play on absolutely every type of forward. Um, you know, they've got, they've got a, they've got a nice, they've got a nice mix in that forward line. Uh, you know, Simkin and Thomas are taking the next step. Um, and you know, if they get to five and nine, they're going to play finals. And you know, as I as I said on Twitter before uh, before the games recommenced, if anyone says they know what's going to happen, <laughs> then yeah. they're, you know they're, they're having a lend. Um, a meritorious win. We don't know what to think of the GWS Giants at the moment because. You know, on top of everything that has happened to the entire world in the last uh, four months, um, they got beat in the grand final last year in a way that 
that might have been actually more of a no-show than Port Adelaide in 2007. Um, I, I, there was like an 80-minute period in that grand final. They didn't score. Wouldn't kick a goal. Didn't look like kicking a goal. They were just completely dominated. And we don't know how that's going to play. Teams, you know, it's been a long time since a team uh, got touched up in a grand final and and went on to win a premiership. So I, I think, you know, I'm happy for someone to hop on the Facebook page or or send me a message, however you get it to me. But I, my memory tells me 983, the Bombers, the last team to get touched up in a grand final and, and then recover to win a premiership. It didn't happen to St Kilda after 2010. didn't happen to Port Adelaide in 2007. Sydney didn't happen in 2014, even though they made a grand, another grand final in 2016. All those teams in the 80s and 90s who got flogged, didn't, it didn't happen. So curiously, you can get a you can get a smack in a prelim final and turn up and win the flag the following year. So yeah, it's, um, yeah. It's interesting. Rules are made to be broken, and um, the Giants were rank outsiders in their prelim final. And you know, in theory, it could have happened that day, and no one would be writing them off. So um, it's an it, it's a very interesting situation, and maybe it was just um, that they were slightly off their game, and you don't want to be that when you play against a really disciplined team like North Melbourne, but. It remains to be seen. It it does it does. Um, just another couple of just another couple of things that I wanted to mention. I didn't see anything of uh, Brisbane and Fremantle. Um, Adelaide are going to be exactly who we thought they were, aren't they? Or or worse, geez, they wouldn't have liked seeing Gold Coast have a win because. Um, uh, they they could very well start. As are, they are playing this, this week. I know. And, so and just look. When was the just, last time the Gold Coast were favourites to beat anybody? Oh, I saw that list today, and it just didn't. It, it's happened like seven times since the start of 2014. There you go. Or, or since the start of 2015, I think they were favourites quite a few times in 2014. Yeah, there were seven times. I'm not going to name the betting agency because I don't want to give them a plug. But the the one I'm looking at the moment is Gold Coast are a dollar eighty and Adelaide are two dollars. So at the moment, the Gold Coast are favourites. Um, and I can't imagine that changing. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd actually suggest a dollar eighty represents value for the Gold Coast. I'd actually suggest that 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 you want to stick that in your multis. They'll win. I think they'll win. Funnily enough. Brisbane are at longer odds to beat West Coast in Brisbane. So, get Brisbane on the two Queensland. knocked off West Coast very early last year. Um, round one. Round one, yeah. And, and West and Coast were the defending premiers. That's right. And so, it was a little by taste 50 of what points. was to come. Yeah, that's right. I remember thinking yeah. at the time, like, are Brisbane any good? Are West Coast suffering their hangover? Um, you know, and a lot of people said, shut up, it's round one. But, geez, it was a pretty good indicator of where the season was headed. Um, West Coast never really got motoring. And um, and Brisbane came from the clouds. So Brisbane are eighty four in their game against the West Coast. And North Melbourne are, oh, that's just changed. So they're fifty-six against Sydney. Um, and Richmond fifty-four. I reckon you'd probably put those four in your multi and you'd probably get a... But, you know, as always, children, gamble responsibly. That's right. I like the sound of that. Um, I'm getting on. (laughs) (laughs) All predictions wrong, but all predictions wrong, all your money back. Um, (laughs) The other game I watched a lot of, as I I mentioned, was Carlton Melbourne. And, you know, Carlton were disgraceful for 40 minutes. And that was probably the 40 minutes I didn't pay much attention to. And then they were really good and really good to watch for the rest of the game. Building and, a little habit of, uh, of of not being out of games, even when they're down by a bit. Um, mm. I can recall them being down against Brisbane last year in a game they couldn't win and jumping on Paddy Cripps's back and getting the chocolates. And, and under Teague, they sort of have this ability to come roaring back. I don't know if it's that they're a fit team or or what it is, but they, they don't mind a little deficit, which is it's sort of the kind of club you want to barrack for. Mm. Nice to see Jacob Wiedering putting some games together. Um, yeah. Because I think that's what... I think Carl will be missing a player like that for a very long time, probably since Michael Sexton. Um, good pair of hands. You know, good pair of hands, centre-half back. You know, mm. And, you know, Liam Jones is always going to be high-risk, high-reward. So, Melbourne, I don't... <laughs> 
I don't know how they don't just put that game to bed. They get seven goals up. They've got Max Gorn in the ruck going up against Pitnet, who's who hasn't played a lot of senior football at AFL level. I just don't know how it's not, you know, guilt-edged silver service to the midfield and then, you know, we've just got too much of the ball that we're able to just keep the things ticking over. But credit to the Carlton defence. I think Melbourne probably had enough of the ball through the second half of the game. But Mel- Carlton just looked a lot more dangerous. Um, that Melbourne for that Melbourne backline doesn't look like they've solved the problems. They've got a lot of they've got some names. They've got some talent in that backline. You know, guys like May and Lever and but you know that you know I think I think Carlton have got their money's worth with Jack Martin, which was you know not very much. They didn't have to. Well, they get him in the preseason draft. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I think I mean, he kicked four in about twenty minutes in round one, and uh, he he again looked good in patches. The worry for Carlton Still. is they had the fourth. The worry for Carlton is they had like the fourth oldest team in this weekend. So, I saw that. So that it's and and I mean there was some uh, there was a lot of hateful stuff going on on Twitter when they were seven goals down after forty minutes. But um, yeah, blow uh, it up. A lot of that was a lot of that was uh, presented as you know stop stop talking about a Carlton rebuild because they've got a mm. fairly old team out there today. Collingwood fielded a, a younger team and a less experienced team, um, which was a bit of a surprise to me. But um, yeah, a lot of that age because I, I saw I saw a comparison with the, the team they trotted out at the end of last year. You know, instead of having some nineteen or twenty year old kid at halfback flank, they've got Doherty who's twenty six. You know, who's yeah. the joint captain that's going to make you a playing. bit older. Yeah, and he yeah. he was he was far from their worst. This is what I'd like to see Carlton do this week, right? In time to go to the the front of the good old Terry Wallace playbook, right? I want to see them come out like North Melbourne, as in, you know, this is bulletin board week. We're going down to the Cattery. We've got Geelong, and I want to see carnage in that first 10 minutes. Just throw it down to their midfield. I don't care if you give away free kicks. I don't care if you get reported, but those cats are that, that old, aging, you know, superannuate midfield at Geelong, they're going to be looking up after 10 minutes. They're going to be looking up for where the next hit's going and then just see what happens. Just try something different from the start of the game. I don't mind that. But, you know, uh, you should pen them a they, they, they're, they're very, you know, as as Mick Maltese once said, you know, the Lord said the meek shall inherit the earth and Carlton were very, very meek at the start of that game. And they get bullied around in the early game by, you know, professional workmen like midfields and that that Melbourne have that. But um aside from Petrarca who's, you know, will be on the top of any well, who did the shorter game sh- suit. So <laughs> he was very good. Number one on that good. list is number one on that list is Todd Goldstein. A hundred percent game time at GWS. Really? A hundred percent. So yeah, gave but, Sam Jacobs a bit of a bath, didn't he? Todd Todd Goldstein's back. Yes. He's the second best ruckman in the league, Todd Goldstein. The best ruckman in the league is whoever's playing the Bulldogs. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to get around to the Bulldogs. Um, a funny thing happened in the first quarter against St. Kilda, and that was the Bulldogs looked – well, Well, it's not funny. It happened, it happened a lot last year. The Bulldogs looked all right. And then – the St Kilda midfield realised they were getting the ball tapped to them, which you know, to be fair, and as good as Rowan Marshall was last season, it, you know, it wasn't his strength as a ruckman. As soon as they realised that the ball was going to be where they wanted it, the game was over. At quarter time on Sunday night, St Kilda had nine hitouts to two, and were like behind in the clearances four to seven, which is, you know, it's. It's an insane stat. It's, you know, cats and dogs living together, total chaos. And then they figured it out. The hit out, the hit out numbers didn't change. The, 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 by the end of the game, and I'll get the exact numbers, uh, the, the hit outs were 49 to 12. Ugh. And the clearances were 32 to 29 and center clearances 14 to 9. 49 hit outs to 12. 
Now, luckily, Tim English is the poster child of every popular uh, AFL commentator slash journalist. Uh, you know, everybody loves him. And he does have a nice pair of hands and, and all that kind of gear. But um, he's he's copping a bath from AFL Ruckman early in his career and getting thrown to the wolves. How many games like that can you have where the hit-out differential is that big before you know, your your position in the team is called into question. Yeah, it was 44 to 15 in round one against Grundy. Grundy smashes him. It, it, yeah. It, it's ridiculous every time. So this um, week he goes up against, the Bulldogs will go up against Source Jacobs, who just got touched up by Todd Goldstein, but Sam Jacobs is a solid career rackman. Definitely. There might have been an All-Australian squad in there somewhere. You know, maybe Adelaide's grand final year. So, you know, it's not... You know, if he was going up against Hawthorne, then with all due respect to the Hawks and, you know, their best ruckman's playing centre-half back, um, then, you know, there might, might be a situation. But round three, they've got the Giants. Round four, they've got Sydney. So that might be a little bit better. Sydney don't, Sydney have... Sinclair, I think, and Naismith. And Naismith is wrong. under a cloud. Yeah. Yeah. And then round five, he's got Goldstein, um, who will do the same job that Brooke Grundy and, and Ryder. It was Ryder who spent most of the time in the ruck. Um, there was some discussion leading to that match that St Kilda, with the shorter games, were going to toy the idea of playing one ruckman. I'm glad they didn't in that game because, I mean, that was it was, it was the, it was the, it was the glaring thing the bulldogs have a problem getting the ball first use of the ball to their midfield i can't have the saints playing one ruckman when both of those ruckmen are so good up forward you know that's mm. my my the biggest conundrum for me bringing paddy Ryder in was you know what do you do with with rowan marshall but that but the the key is that he was being developed as a forward in the first place and was a ruck out of necessity and uh you know, I heard Nick Rewalt say that he wasn't surprised Marshall was playing such good footy. He was just surprised the position he was playing such good footy in. So it's kind of it's a perfect situation where you've got two guys who can who are a genuine threat in the forward line. Um, they must both play. Marshall kicked the ball out of the defensive fifty in the second quarter on the weekend. That would have that would have done Luke Hodge proud. He kicked it to a bloke on a lead who only was able to. The only time he could have caught the ball was when he was when he marked it. He came mm. from behind a Bulldogs player who didn't know the ball was coming. It was an incredible kick from a bloke who two years ago two years ago kicked the ball like every other ruckman. I I I you know, I don't want to turn every time we talk about football into a Rowan Marshall waxing lyrical with <laughs> with me. And he probably wasn't in our best half of a team on the weekend because there were plenty of winners. Mm. And and I could go on and I probably will. But to see a guy six foot seven become just about the best field kick in the team, uh, for a, at a club which is renowned for taking guys who are good kicks and turning them into mules, is <laughs> uh, just flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. Who springs um, to mind first in the um, turn them into a mule discussion? Oh, well, it might have been the might have been the groin, but Luke Ball was. You know, I can remember turning to the bloke in front who sits in front of me, you know, when everyone's allowed to go to the football. I've been sitting behind him for 19 seasons. And I remember what, and this is this will be an obscure reference that only true St. Kilda supporters will get. And I just turned to him and said, when did Luke Ball turn to Denny Craven? Because <laughs> yeah, when Luke Ball got recruited, he was, you know, he was the sort of guy who ran, he ran at like a 10-700 and was an exceptional kick. And I was probably being harsh, and you know, Luke Luke Ball, you know, wore many for his country uh, as captain of St Kilda. I think I think a lesser man would have thought, you know, I, I don't need to play, but he thought I'm captain, I need to play, and he and he sort of ruined his, himself physically because of it. So well, it I took, it took us a I, year to get him back in shape at Collingwood, and then he played some incredible footy for us, but became a battering ram. You know, he he never really got to showcase the elite footballer that he kind of was my mate yeah, um, was a top age footballer at the same time as Luke Ball and 
you know, when it was Hodge, Ball, Judd, um, uh, my mate was just convinced that Luke Ball would be the number one draft pick the entire year. They put all their effort into stopping him right the way through. Judd, he thought, came from nowhere. I think the day that they played against Judd, he played at centre-half back. Um, I mean, that, <laughs> what an incredible draft. But, but according, to, according to my mate, Luke Ball was just the most phenomenal um, athlete and player. So it's, it's kind of, he had, a very, he had a great AFL career, but, it, you know, at the time it could have been anything. If you've got KO, if you want to see how, how good Luke Ball was, at St Kilda in his prime, go and watch the game. It's the two last game of the home and away season in two thousand and five. The game where Milne has eleven kicks and eleven goals. I think Luke Ball has twenty six disposals, jumps out of the ground, kicks two goals, and that year he polled in eight games for nine Brownlow votes, and mm. it was all Australian. So, you know, he was an exceptional footballer, but you know, injuries ruined him. Um, so he's one. You know, um, there are others, but but uh, I take your point. Rowan Marshall's field kicking um, is uh, is on my watch list. But um, you know, the the story for me from the Saints game is how quickly, you know, the the question was probably posed pre-game: um, could the doggies gel with their new recruits, uh, one at either end, Alex Keith and um, Josh Bruce, who we'd both spoken about being excellent additions. Um, you know, and meanwhile, you know, the Saints with recruits coming out of their eyeballs, could that side click? Um, based on the evidence of the weekend, you know, you've got to be taking huge amount of heart from the way each of them performed. Um, and and I'll, I'll just nominate one straight off the bat because uh, Zach Jones's game, um, that's the best I've, I've seen him play. I thought he was best on ground. I, I thought he was comfortably best on ground. As good as Billings was, Gresham was very good. Um, there's another new recruit who I thought was excellent, who I'll get to in a minute, but I thought Zach Jones was clearly the best player on the ground. That's um, what it looked like to me. Yeah. Just some, you know, and, and he's probably never been given that opportunity to play that position uh, for, for Sydney. He's playing as a, as a true inside midfielder. He's, he's, not, he's not an exceptional field kick he's not uh he's you know he's 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 not the best kick i've ever seen but he's probably a little bit classier than your average inside midfielder um he's hard and it's clear from when he got his goal which was one of you know about 40 goals and killed a kick from the goal square um he really wants to play for st kilda he was yeah. really really happy when he kicked that goal and he grew up barracking for st kilda as did his brother nathan and, uh, you know, uh, you know, good morning in Peninsula Poi from a St Kilda area. And he, he's probably always wanted to play for St Kilda and now he's playing for St Kilda. So I don't, I don't see how that can be, how that can be bad. No, he was, he was wonderful. And for me, it was just the energy. Um, everything he did had so much purpose and footballers like mm. that, you know, you, you, you've, yeah, you sort of follow them. Um, he, he was brilliant. Um, like, as you say, there were a lot of very good St Kilda players, but he was the one that every time I, um, every time I looked up, he had it again or um, was at the bottom of a pack. Two more things that both involve non-preferred foots. One, one non-preferred feet. Uh, one I noticed on the day and one that was brought to my attention later from the good social media people at St Kilda. Um, I, I mean, I just absolutely love Dan Butler. Uh, <laughs> not that he had to do much tackling. I mean, that was that was how he got my attention in the preseason. When I just thought, there's a bloke who loves to tackle. Um, but you know, his St Kilda have a, an ex, exceptional spread of players in that front six. Uh, you know, a guy like Loney, who you know probably you know that goal he kicked in the first quarter, he probably puts in the stands three years ago. Just the cool is the easy, is easy to finish. You go, you know, it's facing, you know, being on the scrap heap and turn his career around. Um, you've got Butler, who's, you know, an exceptional pressure forward, quick, and, you know, the, the left foot kick to Bradley Hill, the non preferred, and, you know, Hill's behind the defender, just an incredible kick. 
Butler ended up kicking the goal because the Bulldogs blokes were too busy arguing with each other to chase them. So that was one of the non-preferred. And then I, this this one was brought to my attention. Uh, this was from the first Billings goal. Um, I didn't notice it at the time when I was watching it. <laughs> Running at a halfback, Hunter, Hunter Clark kicks the ball with his right foot, hits the target, runs past, gets the handball, kicks it with his left foot, hits the target. Mm. He's class, Hunter Clark. He did a couple of things that sort of made you raise your eyebrow. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be hard to, you know, hard to pick a 5 4 3 2 1 out of that weekend's game. I'd have Jones, I'd have Billings, and then then I'd probably have Hunter Clark. He probably would have been my third best on ground. Funnily enough, and this is the nerdy thing I do, um, AFL player ratings had Max King in the best three players on the ground. So well, do you know he? I thought he was good, and then um, he did something uh, with not too many minutes to go that sort of signaled how much better he's going to be. But it was just a he timed his leap beautifully, one grabber uh, against a couple of blokes, but who he had a comfortable size advantage over. But just the way he stopped that footy, and then the finish as well from. maybe even just beyond 50, but certainly not too far inside if he was, um, just looked really nice. You know, you don't, you don't, I think he did a couple of those things in the preseason game against Collingwood as well and just gave you an indication that, yeah, he's he's a player too. Another bloke who grew up barracking for St Kilda, so all we need to do is add Michael Hurley and Dustin Martin and we'll be fine. Yeah, I've, I've often wondered and, about that. Like, you know, because I, I bet a whole heap of blokes barracked for Collingwood. That's just the nature of things. Um, but it, it wasn't enough to get uh, Tom Lynch across the line, the fact that he he uh, he used to wear a Collingwood jumper. So um, He's yeah. also a fan from the Peninsula. I know a lot of St Kilda people were like, well, we'll get him back down at St Kilda because he's from the Peninsula. So uh, hope springs eternal. It does. It does. And of course, Jack Higgins, who there's footage of him in the stands in the 2009 prelim as a kid. Good to see him out, out there on the ground and good to see him taking marks from Wayne Harms corner, just to rub it into <laughs> Collingwood support. You know, was he, who was further it? out? Who was further out, Higgins or Harms? I don't know. I, I must be softening in my old age. Maybe it was having a kid, <laughs> but, I, but I was... Um... I was okay with it. And especially when he kicked the goal, I just, you couldn't take it off him because uh, of what he's been through. Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe this is what it is. Maybe I'm just like uh, accustomed to winning games a little bit. So I'm like, oh, well, um, it's only round two. Give the young fella his, his, um, his nice little check side from the boundary line. But uh, come the finals, I'll probably be a lot angrier. It's not the best goal he's kicked against Collingwood though, is it? Well, the other one wasn't a goal, punter, and you, you should know better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a goal because he didn't throw it because it didn't go to anyone else, but it wasn't and shouldn't have been goal of the year. <laughs> he kicked the goal from the he kicked the goal from the goal line. It, it's the easiest shot in football. Jack Stephen kicked one out of midair on an angle, hit it perfect, deliberately. Didn't even so, get, what didn't, saying I, 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 so what you're I, saying I, 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 is, so what you're saying is, even, it should have been a St Kilda player. Yeah, it should have been. You know, I'm 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 obviously objective. <laughs> so, and all the best to Jack Stephen too. That was uh, hopefully he's on the mend. And oh my god, this we'll guy can't him. catch a break. Yeah, so that was that was you know shocking news. You know, and we've 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 had our we've had our fair share of that, and then some in 2020. So we've got. We've got three more rounds scheduled, and then there are still twelve rounds to go after that. You know, what do you think? What do you think the the, the competition is going to look like? What are we going to see? Are we going to see hubs in Western Australia? Are we going to see certain teams sent off? Are we going to see, you know, Tasmania? You know, Hawthorne and North Melbourne still want to play games down there. We might see games up here in Ballarat. Do you have any ideas or thoughts oh, about? I got a crowd. So we're going to. I might let. I might uh, have to let you tackle this comp- this one because. Um, there's been that many things thrown up, and uh, I'm sort of, I'm sort of happy to let, you know, as you said earlier, let the footy come to me. Um, you know, I'll have my opinions about what they end up deciding. But um, if West Coast are in a hub now, then it stands to reason that, um, that you know, Victorian clubs are going to end up in hubs at some stage. Um, and as much as is possible, we should be looking to make it 
fair and equitable. Um, we know mm. they won't succeed, but um, but they should give it a shot. Mm. So, what do you think? Well, I mean, there's logistics. I mean, Melbourne have already played West Coast in Perth. Uh, Richmond are going to play West Coast in the Gold Coast in round five. So it won't be either of those two teams, you would think. And Essendon have already played from Antle. So that rules them out. And then, you know, if there are games in Perth not involving a Perth team, then, you know, a story went around that St Kilda were probably, you know, probably going to get stuck with a trip to Perth for a few weeks for a hub. And, you know, I think... I struggle to raise the, the, the ire to do that. It's just good that footy's back and, you know, anytime, any place, anywhere, you know, just it's good that we're playing and, you know, we might have more success in Perth if we play there for three weeks in a row rather than one week. Yeah, that's so, right. And it's, it's uh, yeah, ultimately, like the teams that respond that way um, in similar fashion to Essendon and North Melbourne who just got the job done and went up there and, and had wins. Um you know, they're the teams that will come away with the flag, not the teams that moan about it. We spoke about yeah. this in the lead up to the qualifying final last year, but um, Chris Scott moaned and moaned about not playing it, playing that final at Geelong in the lead up to the game. It, they'd, they'd already lost it. Yeah. You, you, you've, you just want to hear your coach say, yeah, we'll play them anywhere. And that's what, interestingly, we'll play them on the lost. moon. That's what Ross Lyons said when Frio went down to Geelong for a qualifying final, I want to say, and, yeah. and knocked them off. You know, like yeah, we're playing thing. in a final, great. Yeah, exactly. That's the attitude. Yeah, um, so. Malthouse after the drawn grand final when, when everybody needed a bit of leadership and he just said, if we treat this like a loss, it will be. If we treat this like an opportunity, it will be. It's it's more and more the league is about is about positive coaches. You know, since the... The, the enormous effect that Luke Beveridge had on those 2016 doggies, everybody's searching for that that beautiful, sweet spot and positivity across the list. And just, it'll be just a hard year sub- to garner it, but if they can, there'll be a flag there. On the subject of positive coaches, we might finish on this tangent. Did you see Malcolm Blight have, uh, you know, give the drive-by to Matthew Nix this morning on uh, SA Radio? I, I read no. about it. Because Matthew Nix is all like, well, we need to get our back line, you know, our defence is not good enough. You're five minutes behind him. Malcolm Blight was on full, I don't give a rat's toss bag. He was like, what a bit of piffle, you know. And he was talking about there's only three phases to the game and, you know, and all that sort of thing. And he's just like, if Matthew Nix is only worried about de- defence, they've already lost. <laughs> now, this is, this is their only premiership coach, you know. It's... Uh, Oh, well, this is what happens in 2020. We've got former presidents attacking current U.S. presidents for the first time ever. Oh. And uh, some, w- some would argue with a uh, very good cause, and I'm one of those people. Um, I hope so. And uh, we've got, you know, former premiership coaches having a go at other, other you know, coaches of that club. So, you know, anything is possible. But, uh, you know, it was a fair old whack that Blighty gave uh, – Gave Matthew Nix a man who has been coaching for exactly Five two minutes. games. Yeah, yeah God, so, I'll, I'll have to look that up because that sounds harsh to me. But he's never been with, short of a word. With a list that is, you know, in terms of premiership, built for premiership, as far away from it as any list in the AFL. And you know, by a there's a, long, there's a long road ahead of Matthew Nix. They might not have bottomed out yet. So Even when you, when you watch someone like Charlie Cameron running around at the moment who – is the premier small forward in the competition, along with Michael Walters, just playing breathtaking footy for Brisbane. You know, 58 goals or whatever he kicked last year. And, you know, he's part of that mass exodus, you know, and it's, it's it must be tough to take for Adelaide supporters who love their footy. I, I, I would I would just interject with my opinion there. I think Cameron is the best Small forward in the competition. I, if I was bu- picking a team, I pick Walters before Cameron. But I think Walters is a little bit more versatile. I'll play some more midfield minutes. But I want them um, both. Both except both exceptional footballers. Mm. Um, oh yes, and then more. We just seem to be Philip ending on Adelaide are terrible. Um, then Rashudo on social media tonight basically went through all oh, these were other reasons why all these players are gone. But oh, he wanted money, you know. Jake Lever wanted eight fifty. He's a five hundred thousand dollar player at best. Ah. Um, 
Cameron was the one they didn't want to lose. Um, you know, Greenwood's 28. He's not playing in our next premiership. He might be playing in the Gold Coast next premiership. The way they go. <laughs> um, Gold Coast are winning one before Adelaide. Certainly the way things are going. I think we'll find. I think we'll see that pretty clearly on on the weekend. What did he um, say about Alex T? Oh, it was, you know, the Bulldogs were offering that which we were not prepared to give. I mean, you know, if we had we given Keith what he wanted, then other players would have been forced out, I think is what he said about Alex Keith. So, well, that's fine. This has been good. Alex Keith had played such an incredible season. I mean, at some point, yeah. you've got to give over. But it's not something that just started happening in Adelaide. No, you know, isn't. They're the only it's club cool. who lost someone to the Gold Coast and the GWS as free yeah. agents. They lost – and blokes, two blokes who played the same position – Phil yeah. Davis and Nathan Fox. Phil Davis was a recent rising star winner. Yeah, you put the put you put the players that they've lost back in that lineup, and since that time, and they've they've fielded some pretty handy sides. No Dangerfield. We never even got to talking about money. That was one that got mentioned, and you know that's fair enough. But um, just an extraordinary, you know, outburst by a club director. I would have thought. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it doesn't feel right, but nothing's felt right there since uh, a certain preseason camp. Yeah, well, the sooner the sooner we can see a St Kilda Adelaide game on the schedule, the better. That's what I say. <laughs> it has been a pleasure, Cameron. We'll do this again in a little while, probably when the you know our, you know when we're in the next batch of games. Sounds good. So. Until next time, I'm Andrew Lewis. This has been the podcast. It should go without saying. We will catch you next time. Okay, Roth, I really need to cough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we just made it. <laughs> <laughs>